Frankie, come, come on. Frankie, come. Good boy, good boy. Sit, good boy. Down, down, good boy. And stay, stay, good boy. How about you? Can you sit down and stay for the next half hour? This is Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. Hello there, and welcome to the July 2021 edition of Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. I'm Devin from Canada. August 1st to 7th is International Assistance Dog Week. The idea for the week was originally the brainchild of Marcy Davis of New Mexico. Back in 2017, Marcy interviewed Laura Watermanuk, Executive Director of PADS, the Pacific Assistance Dog Society, in Burnaby, British Columbia. That interview was originally aired on both PetLifeRadio.com and Marcy's own podcast, Working Like Dogs. Let's mark this very special week by listening to that interview and celebrating our own wonderful dogs and the level of independence that they allow us to achieve. Hello, Laura, and welcome. Hello, thanks very much for having me today. Yeah, we're so excited that you could be with us and talk about the beautiful dogs that you guys are training and placing. So I have to ask you, Laura, as we get started, tell us about PAD's mission. What is it that you guys do? Well, our program, we breed, raise, train, and provide assistance dogs for a variety of disabilities other than blindness in order to help our clients live a more independent life. Tell us about some of those disabilities. Is it mostly people who use wheelchairs or do you do other types of disabilities? Our program was founded as a hearing dog program to hearing dogs to support the deaf and hard of hearing community. And we expanded next to train and provide service dogs for people with physical disabilities. And that could be a wide variety of people in wheelchairs. Also, we train mobility dogs, and that's for individuals that have balance problems that might have had a stroke, MS, cerebral palsy, variety. As long as the dog can provide a service, or do a task that will help a person be more independent, more mobile, then they're a potential candidate for our service dogs. So we also train accredited facility dogs, and those are dogs that we place with professionals, professional handlers that work in a variety of situations. They could be working in a hospital or a hospice. We have a lot of dogs that work in the education system. We place dogs with victim services within the police department. So the dogs, in that instance, are used as a support for their clients, and it could be educational, children that are talking to the dogs in order to read, or it could be dogs in the hospitals where the dogs are used in some type of physiotherapy-type role. And then our accredited facility dogs that work with the police departments, those dogs are used from the first point in trauma, and they could carry through and be with a person right through if they have to go to court and testify. So credit facility dogs, it's a very broad-based type of dog that is supporting the community at large, the greater community. 
Wow, that is a large array of different types of services that dogs can perform. And, you know, it really sounds like that's a huge trend right now are assistance dog organizations training facility dogs and courthouse dogs that are doing some of that kind of crisis work that we're seeing more and more in the world that we're living in today. So that's really interesting that you guys are doing that as well. Yes, uh, well, the courthouse dogs foundation. They've been placing dogs within the courts for a number of years. PADS was the first program in Canada to place a dog within the victim service role. And, you know, when we first started this, we just had no idea to the impact that these dogs are going to have on the clients. But it's for a lot of people that work in those different type of working roles. Not all of them or most of them, they're not allowed to provide that caring touch, you know, giving a child a hug or somebody that's gone to hospital and they've gone through a very traumatic loss or an incident. Those individuals, the professionals in those working roles, they can't comfort in that way. And so what we found is that the dogs that we place within the role, and they're, they're very different personality. Every, every stream of dog is very different in their personality and their skills, but they have such a huge impact. And what they've discovered is the dogs, they first of all facilitate communication, but they also start helping with the healing. So that's really a a success for the dogs that are in these working roles. Yeah, it's so powerful. Just what I've seen with it, it is really, uh, when you use the word impact, and it is, it has a huge impact, which is Mm -hmm. just so beautiful, beautiful to see. So tell us, how do you train your dogs, especially because you have so many different types? What's your training program like? So we're blessed to have a very large population of volunteers that support us. So as I said, we do breed our own, our dogs. And first of all, the puppies are the mums. We have brood, our breeding colony and their place with volunteers. And their role is to raise and rear those babies for the first eight weeks of their life. And during that eight weeks, you know, as the dogs progress, we have a, we actually have quite a, a training regime right from day one. You know, you're doing handling exercises with the dogs and as they progress they start wearing little baby capes you know just so they get the feeling of of having that working gear on them and then they do a number of exercises where they're touching their toes and playing with their ears and doing handling exercises so the dogs get very accustomed to touch and also tactile so they'll have them in the whelping room they have all sorts of games and toys and different textures that the dogs walk on right from babyhood. So that's the first eight weeks. And then they come to our PADS facility. We do a a behavior testing type on the dogs. And that's to kind of maybe uh, show us a little bit of information on the dog's personality. So if we notice that the dogs are a little bit scared of slippery floors, like that'll be identified in that test. So at eight weeks, they have individual education plans that are developed, and then that goes out with uh, the puppy raiser. Right from eight weeks, they start working on what's been identified as the personality of the dog's traits. So for the next 15 to 18 months, the dogs are with volunteer families or individuals that their role is to raise, train, and socialize them for the first 18 months of their life. And they take them to work with them or all their family activities, out shopping, out to restaurants. We know that the better socialized the dog is, the better chance that they have for success as a working dog. So that's the volunteer's role. They come to obedience classes at our facilities once a week. We are there to guide them through. Like there's, we have. 
people that have raised multiple dogs are very dog savvy. And then we've had people come join us that uh, have never had a dog before. So our role is to help them through this process. Do they take the dog home with them, the puppy? Do they get to keep the puppy during this training process? Yeah, they're basically our wonderful volunteers. They have the dogs with them 24-7. And they're taking the dog everywhere that they would go in their daily life. The dog goes with them. Basically, when the dog gets to be a very well-trained dog and they've gone through all their young puppyish stages and the dog is confident and it's mature, that's when they turn the dog back over to us. Yeah. So, oh boy, we could not run our program without these amazing individuals. I think there must be a special place in heaven for puppy raisers, Laura. I really believe that. (laughs) I really do. Yeah. Yeah. So then what happens when they give them back to you guys? So then they start our advanced training program. And pretty much every dog that comes into our kennels and advanced training program, they all start the same. And they're matched, buddied up with their kennel mates. And the first week to two weeks, it's really just all about um, getting comfortable at pads. And they spend a lot of time with our kennel manager and our volunteers and just get relaxed into the kennel because it's a new routine for them, right? Yeah. About how old are they when they come back to you? They're anywhere between 16 to 18 months, I guess, is our average. I failed to mention with our hearing dogs, we also use different breeds for our hearing dogs. The majority of our service dogs are labs, retrievers, or golden crosses. But our hearing dogs will do some specialty breeds. And sometimes the hearing dogs, they're a little bit, they mature a little quicker than our service dog candidates. So they might start at 15 months of age into the advanced training kennel. So once they come in, they have an opportunity to settle in, then they're assigned to a trainer. And over the next, usually it's about seven to nine months, the trainer's role is to teach special skills as well as taking the dog out and doing special skill work out in the public and the community. So it's quite an intense training process. First of all, you're starting your, the dogs are taught to perform physical tasks for a service dog. And So we're very methodical in our training regime. We do a lot of target and touch when we initially start the work and all quicker and treat reward at the beginning. And so we just, we work through and we see, okay, is this a a service dog that's going to be able to do physical skills? Is it a dog that's really a little bit more energy and drive and are they really alert to sound work or are they more laid back and they're not really driven by skills and do they have that really empathetic nature to be a AFD dog? So we always say we really let the animals, the dogs, pick their career. Like to be a successful working dog, you can't make them work, right? Right. You build on their on their personalities and and their uh, what brings them joy. Right. Well, that's what I was gonna. I was wondering about. I was curious about how you have so many job opportunities for them. Of how do. do you go through that process to really identify what's the best job for each dog? Well, we really say the dog does pick their own job. <laughs> so, the first three months that they're at the facility, they're pretty much. You know, they're working on building really solid obedience with the dogs. They're trying the special skills to see what are they excelling at. Some dogs don't like to pick things up, right? So they move out of the service dog stream and then we'd start looking at them as an AFD dog. Or if the dog is very high drive, energy, love sounds, we'll say, okay, this dog is going to be a hearing dog. So with the different career streams, it's just really helps us with being able to find the best placement for the dog. Hearing dogs, it's very distinct type of dog. Service dog, 
a lot of different varying personalities, but the number one is that the dog really enjoys doing physical tasks for people. They're very reliable. When you think about our clients that are handling service dogs, they have a lot of physical limitations, right? So you need a dog that's going to be obedient. It's not going to be pulling on its leash. Most of our dogs are very much vocal commands, right? So Mm -hmm. they have to be very responsive to the client and doing the work and love the work. Yeah. Yeah. I always say Lovey is a retriever on steroids because she (laughs) will retrieve anything. She lives to retrieve. Yeah. Yeah. So totally get what you're saying about that. And, And that is a lot of physical demands on those types of dogs. Yeah. So does it take longer to train the hearing dogs because of their tasks or the service dogs? What's usually the process once they get into the advanced stages? Again, it's quite often dog specific. You know, we just had a service dog go through in four months. That's quite a uh, wow. remarkable, but, but that is, uh, he, he's a little retrieving machine. He loves the work <laughs> and he's a quick study. But on average, it's really seven to nine months for our advanced training program is, is pretty much what we say. PADS is an accredited school with Assistance Dogs International. There's time requirements for how many hours our dogs get for training special skills at our facility. There's also requirements for how many hours our dogs will be out working in public. So, and as I said, it's quite methodical. You can speed it up a little bit, determining on how how quick the dogs take the traits or pick up the tasks. But for the most part, it's seven to nine months for service and hearing um, because you want them also to be very solid. And you also want them going out when they're a mature dog, right? Yeah, 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 because we're really asking a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's so true. You mentioned that PADS is an accredited member of Assistance Dogs International. And we were talking about that. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit more about what that accreditation means in the assistance dog industry, because that's a big deal that you guys are accredited. It is. We've actually just completed our fourth accreditation with Assistance Dogs International. And for us, it's kind of like the gold seal within our organization. ADI, um, as it's also known, is is a coalition of not-for-profit assistance dogs organizations worldwide. And in order to become ADI members, you have to adhere to a high level of standards. And, you know, your training, your placement, also your follow-up with the clients, it's all very comprehensive. And so with our membership and accreditation through ADI, it is, you know, we're working towards best practices and best standards. And also the membership within ADI also allows us the opportunity to work with a number of different schools worldwide. And so that furthers our education and also collaboration with other schools. We are also members of Assistance Dogs International Breeding Cooperative. So I believe there is 27 schools across North America that we share uh, breeding stock. We also share our litters. So if we were to have a litter of seven puppies, we might send two away to other schools. And then we in turn get puppies back. So it allows us to improve on our, our working lines genetically, but it also allows us the diversities with getting dogs from other schools, guide and assistance dog schools. So it's been an incredible opportunity for PADS for this last four years to be involved in this program. 
Yeah, that's terrific. And congratulations on your latest accreditation because I know a little bit about how much work and how much demand goes on to agencies that are applying for that. And and like you said, it's adhering with best practices, which is so yeah. important in the assistance dog industry. So that's wonderful. Yeah. It's a lot well, of work. It's a lot yes. of work, but at the end of the day, it is so well, it's worth, well it. worth it because yeah. it is. Yeah, it really is. And it it says a lot for programs when they have that accreditation. Yeah. We're tested by our peers. So uh, it's (laughs) other schools that come in and and look at our walls. But also it's done with a great deal of collaboration, which is wonderful because you're sharing information and you're sharing knowledge and and they in turn are giving you advice and what have you. So it's Assistance Dogs International in regards to PADS. It has been an incredible opportunity and our organization has seen so much more growth because of that membership and partnerships with other schools. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, that's great. Well, tell us about once the dogs get through your training program, how do you match them with their human partner? So we say the dogs pick their career path And then the next step is so vital to having that successful relationship is is a good match based on both personality and skill set of the dogs. So we have a large um, application list, applicant list that sitting and waiting for the dogs, which is ever so stressful for us. You know, the way the demand always far surpasses our ability to meet the need, unfortunately. But once a dog has been determined and it's nearing its placement, we do what's called a pre-placement test. So the dogs are, and their handler, their trainer, they undergo a training test, skills test at our facility. We take them out and they do, we do a public access test. So the dogs are really rated on their performance. And once they've met the criteria, then they go into the queue for being matched with the client. And sometimes our trainers and our client care manager will go visit the clients with a couple different dogs and have them handle and work the dog and just kind of get a, a better idea about their temperament. By this time, we've we've usually met the applicant once or twice, once if not twice. And so we're picking a dog that can match their physical needs, but also we need to find the match on the personality and the behavior and what that dog needs is if it's a very laid back service dog lab, you are not going to place that dog with a client that is very go, 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 right? Or, and vice versa, you, you can't place a really high energy dog with somebody that is a little bit more homebound and doesn't get out quite as much as that dog needs. So looking at the temperament of the dog and the, the lifestyle that, that they're going to lead, that's it. with all those factors taken into account, that's how we do our match. Nice. And I'm forever quite amazed that our, our staff there, they do very well with the they do. Oh, my doctor. <laughs> That's right. We're talking about them. Absolutely. <laughs> so we have considerable information on the client already because usually once they do the, the very comprehensive application process, as well as we'll do Skype interviews with the client so we can see what is their home situation like. Are they a very soft type of temperament person? You know, do they need a voice control dog? You know, all those things are taken into account. And once that match is made, then we will start looking at that person. And if they need anything specific, special that's related to their home or their their physical needs, et cetera, then we'll start fine-tuning that dog for that person. So once the match is all done and ready, then they come to the PADS facility and they participate in a team training class. 
And that's where they get to know the dog, start working on the bond, learn all the canine psychology, veterinary care, everything that they need to know about working with a dog and caring for a dog and training a dog, motivating a dog. It takes place over two weeks and very comprehensive, as I'm sure you know. It's a lot of work to um, have an assistance dog and because you have to learn what motivates your dog. The dogs at this point in time are working very well for the, the trainers, but now our clients have to engage them and start building the bond and, and get them working for them. Yes, that is very, because <laughs> they don't know you. Those dogs don't know you. And, and yes, getting them motivated, that is the key, right? And do your clients, do they stay on site with you guys or how does that work? Yes, we have at our campus in Burnaby, we have a dorm facility. And so we only have two dorm rooms at this time. But uh, so we usually tend to pick two away clients and to in-town clients so we can accommodate everybody. I was going to say, are but most of your clients in the air? Are they in Canada or where are they? Are they in British Columbia? Where are they located, most of your clients? Do you serve people outside of, of your area? We offer our service and hearing dog program. We will train and place in Western Canada, so British Columbia to Manitoba. But for our accredited facility dogs, particularly the the dogs that are working within victim service roles and child advocacy centers will place those dogs across Canada because there's no other programs that are servicing the need on the East Coast. So we've just we just placed our first dog in Nova Scotia. Um, oh, great! Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah, that's great. Well, and so tell us about. I know we're we're talking all about the whole process. So once somebody after they do the two week training and then they go home, what's the follow-up with them, with their dogs? How do you monitor their success? So for the first six months, they're reporting to our client care manager on a regular basis. They have follow-up reports that they have to submit. And that's just, we're really here to help them get set up for success. Sorry, immediately following the team training class, then our trainers, our client care manager, will follow the client to their home and will set up the special equipment within the home environment, like light switches, the tugs on the doors, Mm -hmm. whatever that they need for um, their home environment. And if the person works, then they'll go into the work environment as well as just kind of cover some of their daily routine, do some field trips, just so they get very comfortable with their dog and their new and their new role of having an assistance dog. You know, life changes when there's a dog. Uh, <laughs> yes, it does. At all time. <laughs> yeah, so that's excellent. So following that initial um, home placement, then yes, they're in communication with us for six months. And we also return at 45-day time frame to retest the dogs, do the public access certification test again, help them with anything that they need at that point in time. And then with successful completion of the public access test, they become a certified team. And our dogs were recognized by the province of British Columbia. And so at that point in time, they get their government ID cards because their dogs are protected under the BC Guide Dog and Service Dog Act. So um, that's a great achievement to make that milestone. And then after their probationary period, we visit them annually. Once a year, our client care manager goes to the home and does a follow-up with all of our clients. Fabulous. You guys are very methodical. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When you said methodical, you really meant that, Laura. Yeah. That's (laughs) that's really wonderful. It is true. 
<laughs> well, and I'm so glad you touched on the access laws because I did want to ask you that about access laws in British Columbia for your graduates because you guys are really much more advanced than we are in the United States with that. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, advanced. It took us many years, <laughs> many, many years. Initially, it was the Guide Dog Act and it was, you know, that was... I can't remember the year it was developed, but it was before the world of assistance dogs and service dogs. So the legislation had many voids in it. So a number of stakeholders within our industry, we've been lobbying the government for many, many years. And in 2014, we met with the ministry and they asked PADS, myself, and also the executive director of BC Guide Dogs, if we would help them come up with a process in order to have better regulations, better access laws, and also help them with an initiative in developing a process so somebody that has an assistance dog is able to go and get tested and then be certified under the Act. So that was completed in 2015, Bill 17, BC Guide Dog and serving that process. It was a, a tremendous amount of work, but we had great support by the government. And we're fortunate in British Columbia that there's a certification body. It's run under the Justice Institute here in BC. And they already had a program where they were testing police dogs and testing bomb and drug detection type dogs and security dogs. And so they rolled this program, the certification piece of the new legislation underneath the JI. So now if somebody was to, if they have their medical confirmation that they have a disability and they have the veterinary clearance that the dog is of sound sound health, they can apply and they can go to get their dog certified. They go through a test and it's it's very much, it's comparable to Assistance Dogs International or International Guide Dog Federation's certification process that we do internally on our teams. So it Excellent. is a comparable to our industry. And it's it has opened up the doors for many others. And for anybody that is visiting from out of country, they're able to, if they're an ADI or an International Guide Dog Federation accredited school, they're just able to apply through the government and they can get a certification card when they're visiting. That's terrific. Or if they relo relocate oh. here, yes. Yeah, that's really, that's groundbreaking. I'm so happy mm -hmm. for you guys. Yeah, that's really wonderful. And I'm sure that takes care of a lot of the fake assistance dog issues that so many other of us are experiencing, which is just wonderful. Yeah. Well, and I, I know we don't have much time left, but I do want to ask you, you guys have a new program that you're working on. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, we're very excited. In 2018, we're going to be launching our PTSD dog training program for veterans and first responders. The need is great in Canada. Again, there's a couple of schools that we've partnered with here locally and the dogs that have not been a service dog or a hearing dog or they don't fit into our AFD dog program. We've donated our some of our, our canines over to this another school here in British Columbia and our dogs have gone on successfully within their program. And so again, we note that there's dogs that don't fit our current stream. So we're not only excited to be servicing the great need, but we're also excited that it gives our dogs another career path. Yeah. So we are launching next year. We're in the final stages so of doing our setup. It's a program that 
requires a little bit of a different follow-up and and we're establishing our medical committees for helping us process applications, et cetera. So coming soon, coming very yeah. soon. Yeah. Well, you'll have to come back and tell us more about that. And I'm sure it's going to be a tremendous success. And you can come back and share that with us, Laura, because we've, Would love we've to. talked about so many things, but I could keep talking. There's so many more things <laughs> I'd love to ask you, but I I know that, that you guys are doing amazing work and I'm so glad that you could be with us and share some of that today. So thank you so much, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks once again to both Marcy Davis and PetLifeRadio.com for allowing us to air this most informative interview. Don't forget that I we do have a new email here at uh, Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. And so if you want to let me know about anything whatsoever to do with guide hearing and service dogs in your country, all you have to do is send an email to spotlight at theglobalvoice.info. That's spotlight at theglobalvoice.info. And uh, if we can't uh, have a chat by phone, we'll have a chat by Zoom. Have yourself a wonderful month, and we'll see you again on Friday, August 20th. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now. Hello, friends. I'm Joe Bullard, and I want to tell you about my kind of music. It's now being transmitted every Sunday at 1600 hours UTC on the Global Voice. Two hours of easy-on-the-ear music. Standards, ballads, love songs, good country, big band and memory joggers. Make note of the time. 1600 hours UTC. Sunday, my kind of music with me, Joe Bollard. Check the website for repeats.